Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and this week I am digging into the well of music, the very depths of the well of music that is Deep Purple, going to their second studio album, The Book of Taliesin. Uh, this is, is, God, this album sounds so 60s, but I, I absolutely love it. It's one, again, I had on vinyl, uh, actual Tetragrammaton original pressing. As far as I know, they only did one pressing before they went bankrupt. So I'm going to assume that the vinyl that I had was the original pressing. Picked it up for $5 at Kmart. $5. Man, that's crazy to think about what that might be worth now. And if I had just... And, and I remember even then thinking I should get another copy and keep it sealed, but I didn't have enough money to do that. I had never heard the album. So of course I opened up the cellophane and that became my copy of the album. I really wish I had the the cash at the time to go back and get second copies of all those because they had all three original Deep Purple albums for $5 each. Man, uh, think about those sealed nowadays from Tetragrammaton. Anyway, uh, this is another album that was a very uh, early influence. I was very familiar with who Deep Purple was by this point, already having, uh, you know, In Rock and Fireball and Machine Head and all those. Um, didn't have their entire catalog, but this was uh, definitely one that I was very excited to get and listen to. It's a very different album. Um, it's It's, in a way, it's like you can see in some aspects where the band was headed, but it, it's also like... There's a lot of experimentation in this album. I almost feel like they were trying to figure out still who they wanted to be. I know that they started off copying Vanilla Fudge. I'm not familiar enough with Vanilla Fudge's music to really assess how close they were to that. I, I honestly don't know. I know I've eaten a lot of Vanilla Fudge over the years, probably why I'm in the position I am now. But uh, oh, and it's so good too. that Mackinac Island fudge that we used to get was so good. And I remember selling that for school when I went to school at Clintondale. And um, I think I probably ate more than I sold. Uh, delicious stuff. Anyway, uh, getting off track here. But this this album is another one that features uh, Rod Evans and Nick Simper. It was their second album, from what I can see, also came out in 1968. So here they were, having just recently done Shades of Deep Purple, had success with Hush. Boom, they're back in the studio being pushed by the record company to make another album. Um, definitely a whirlwind first year and a half for the band and, uh, a, a lot went on. I'm surprised that, that honestly, I, I could say on one hand, I'm surprised that the writing is this good being as how young these guys were, you know, Richie was already so well known as a virtuoso. They had done a great first album. They had done some shows. They were getting used to each other. So maybe that allowed them to experiment a little more with the writing. There's a lot of long passages on this album that you didn't really get with the first album. So as I think musically, there's parts where it's a little more patient, a little more building and, and almost uh, orchestral feeling, I want to say in that light. But uh, it's a great album. And unlike Shades of Deep Purple, that just starts out with this really long organ passage building up to this song. Uh, this one just comes right out of the gate with something a little mystical, kind of reminds me uh, lyrically of something that could have been in one of the, the early Rainbow albums with Dio. But it is called Listen, Learn, Read On.
You got to love that shimmering reverb delay on Rod Evans' vocals. Um, <laughs> that comes into a really big climax uh, towards the end of the song, too. There's a little bit of a, an effects wash on his voice that, that's pretty cool. But I, I love the sound of this. I love his sound because, you know, I remember uh, John Lord saying that he was a little bit Tom Jones, a little bit Engelbert Humperdinck, and I could definitely hear that. But he had the ability to sing rock great, I thought. Uh, you know, maybe he couldn't hit the the screams or or stuff that they wanted, but I thought he had a really good voice for this kind of music. Uh, if you start adding distortion to it, it definitely would have sounded different. Not his voice, but, you know, like a heavy distorted guitar, like what we would get within rock. It would definitely have, have changed the dynamic of Rod's voice with the music. But I think he sings this stuff just absolutely great. And um it's it's just an interesting song because it's kind of, you know, really mystical and it makes you wonder, you know, who these guys are, because we don't really get to know them very well on the first album. Don't necessarily know that this is them at all. It could just be a song based on an idea they had or something they've heard. But uh, it's a fun song. And of course, as we get to know with Richie and the seances and all that, it kind of, you know, takes a little bit of a shape. But uh, a really energetic song. I love Ian Pace on this song. He's just got such a great dry snare sound. I really like it. I think it really works with the toms. I would like a little more tone in the toms personally, but it, the drums are a little bit dry in that. But you can hear the kick, you can hear the snare, you can hear the toms. The drums sound pretty good. Hi-hat's a little bit less. Um, crash cymbals blend in a little bit. But apart from that, I think he's got a pretty good drum sound for this for this time, 1968. Um, but yeah, it, the mix is not bad for, you know, for what time it is, what equipment they're working with. I think it actually sounds pretty good. Definitely sounds very 60s. I mean, today the sound is very dated, but for me, it's nostalgic. It's something that I, you know, I'm just so used to hearing it this way that I really don't put a whole lot of thought into the mix. Um, you know, this this is like a, a childhood album for me. So it's something that's been with me for so long that well before my years as an audio engineer. Um, so I don't even, you know, my brain doesn't even try to pick any of this apart. And I'm glad, you know, sometimes I just like to just enjoy what I'm hearing and not really think about it too much. But yeah, Listen, Lord, Read On is a great opening track for any kind of rock band or, or band that, that wants to show they have some energy. This is the way you kick off an album. I think And the Address was a great opening track for Shades of Deep Purple. But once the band has kind of established themselves as a, as a rock act, um, I think that you need to kick off the next album with something pretty serious. And I think they've done a great job with that here. Uh, then they go back more into melody with the second song. I love this song. It is called Ring That Neck uh, on the American version, because for some reason, you know, how dare you say anything so questionable and dangerous? You know, we can't have that in this country. So uh, it was called Hard Road. And on some pressings, uh, you would see like Hard Road and then in parentheses, Ring That Neck, because eventually, I guess it was OK to say it. I don't know, just stupid bullshit. But in any case, it's a great song. Uh, it's a wonderful instrumental that they played live for many years, um, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I really love it. So here's a little bit of that.
I love the way that phrase comes together at the at the end of that little clip there. Just that da 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 da. I love the blend of, of organ and guitar on that. It just it just has a little bit of a magical touch for me. I've always loved that part. I love the the uh, timpani too uh, that that Ian Pace plays on this. I think it really adds a depth to the song. But it's a great shuffle. It's got a great melody to it. There's some great soloing in it. Uh, it's just a journey. This song, and it's one that I I think this was probably the first shuffle I ever played on drums. So I used to play this song quite a lot because it was just so much fun. Um, there's a part where it, it the drums kind of stop and, and the melody plays and then he hits the, um, you know, the um, the timpani and then comes back in with a, with a fill. And I, I've always loved that part, how that comes in. But it's it's just a beautiful flowing melody. And thinking about, you know, these guys just putting it together you could obviously tell that they really read each other well. They could play these complex parts. They could do it with precision, but they could also do it in a way where you could feel a little bit of passion in it. Um, not just like they're they're playing the sheet music. You feel like it's alive. And I think that's a really important component because this could be so precise and staccato and, and just really not feeling at all. Whereas I feel it's very fluid, a, a great journey. And one that I I fully enjoy. I could really go into depth in this song, but you know, on the show, um, it's not a deep dive show, so I'm not going to do that. But suffice to say that I, I I definitely love this song. It's one of my favorite instrumentals from this this era, and um, that brings us to a Neil Diamond cover. A lot of people covering Neil Diamond over the years. This song in particular, uh, this one is called Kentucky Woman. I love when a vocalist can sing someone else's story and really put passion into it. And and I feel like Rod's got such passion in this. It's almost like he's really lived this story himself. And I, I just love it when vocalists can do that. Um, it's a very energetic version. I think I've only heard Neil Diamond's version maybe once or twice, but this this has a power to it. The snap of that snare, the the frequency of it, the tempo, everything just really brings this one to life. Um, another energetic one for Ian Pace. A uh, great solo from Richie on it, but I love the middle section, um, which we don't hear in this clip. Obviously, this is just the first, you know, 30 seconds or so. But I, I love that the song uh, breaks down into a part where the drums get kind of quiet. It's mostly snare, and then it builds up from there. There's a, then a great uh, organ part that kind of takes over. Um, I just, I love their performance on this. I think they've really taken a, a good song and really made it something incredibly special. I know this was a big hit for them. I'm still not sure exactly why they were doing covers. Maybe they didn't have enough time to write all new material. And so they grabbed a couple of covers to do. But but I have to say, I'm really glad that they did this. And it worked out really well for them uh, being a big hit. So um, that brings us to our next one, which is kind of a dual song. So I'm going to play it in two parts. This is Exposition and We Can Work It Out.
you got to give it to Ian Pace for that snare work at the beginning. It's like buzz rolls, but they're they're not consistent buzz rolls. They sound just a little bit different, uh, really unique, but perfect for the song. Then he starts getting into some dynamics as they're about to build into this more rock portion. But again, it feels really classical, you know, um, I, but I love it. I love the timpani in it. If that is not Ian Pace playing it, then I apologize to whoever played it. But as far as I know, um, that's Ian Pace playing it. And it could even be um, just a really reverbed out floor tom, but it sounds like timpani to me. Uh, maybe there was some timpani in the studio and he said, hey, let's add, you know, let's add this in for effect. It'll make the song bigger. If it, and it certainly would. But whatever the the actual recording technique was, it sounds great. I love this song. It goes into some really cool parts um, shortly after where we're at here. But the build is just too long for me to play in a non-deep dive podcast. But I, I think it's it's fantastic. It's a real journey. It's a real patient song. Now, um, for many years, I thought that Deep Purple wrote this whole thing. They did not. I didn't know until I was at my grandmother's house in Michigan. She wanted to show me this movie about Beethoven called Immortal Beloved, and I hadn't seen it yet. I'm going to highly recommend it. It is one of my favorite movies, but seriously, bring a box uh, or a case of tissues. It is a real tearjerker. Beethoven did live a fairly sad life, and uh, Gary Oldman did uh, a, a wonderful job portraying him. I obviously don't know what Beethoven was really like. There's no video footage. There's no audio interviews or anything. Those techniques did not exist exist in his time. Um, but I, but he brought a very emotional performance. Uh, absolutely fantastic from beginning to end. Anyway, this is actually part of the second movement, I think, of Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. And they played this uh, portion in the movie when Beethoven's nephew was uh, attempting to commit suicide. And so, spoiler alert, I guess. But um, that's when I thought, hey, that's that part from uh, Deep Purple song, A Book of Taliesin. And so, of course, you know, I, I got the symphony and um, actually I just got all his symphonies at that point in a box set. And um, uh, yeah, really fell in love with that piece. Uh I will cover this a little more in my review of Sarah Brightman's album, La Luna, but she actually takes this section. She's got lyrics to it and uh, does a beautiful job. I was really pissed because I was actually working on my own version of uh, using this section of his symphony to write my own song with lyrics, which I did record. Uh, eventually. And um, I'm sure that'll end up on one of my albums at some point. But um, yeah, I was pissed because she took the, it's a whole like 45 minute symphony. And she takes the one section that I took and, uh, and, and put it out before I did. So not that I could compete with her popularity, um, but certainly her version is absolutely beautiful. It's incredibly emotional, very well done. Uh, So, so total props to her. I'll get more into that when I review her album, which I think will be soon, very soon, maybe even next week. We'll see. I, I tend to set up these schedules and then rearrange them all the time. So it's currently slated for next week, but we'll see if that actually happens. But it'll be soon in any case. Uh, so, yeah, this is a this is a great song. It almost just turns into a completely different song. You know, it's like the classical part stops and then the bass comes in and the band kicks in with this rock and roll bit. They feel like they're two different songs, but they're they're really not. Um, that is all still exposition. So uh, now I'll get into We Can Work It Out.
Now, of course, We Can Work It Out was originally done by the Beatles. Fantastic song. Um, a little a little more, I think, up-tempo than this one, if I remember right. It's been a long time since I've heard it. But uh, as usual, Deep Purple does things in their own fashion, as they've done with the Beatles uh, already in their short career of two albums here. Uh, but a great version, really energetic, um, real passionate vocal from Rod at the end. There's a really, you know, it really just goes from this energetic part to this really gentle part, and then the energy kicks in again. It's a very, very well done version. And uh, again, I don't know if they just didn't have enough time and they're like, let's do a couple covers. Maybe they're like, hey, covers are really the thing to do to get noticed. If we do a Beatles song, people love the Beatles, they'll check out our version. Um, I, I mean, I don't really know what was behind it, but I'll just say I really like it. I, it's I'm not sure how exposition really tied into it when it got into that rock part that goes on for a while. And then you heard the transition from the rock part into we can work it out. But um, again, I don't know uh, why other than that they would have done it, but I'm glad they did because it's a really, really good version. And um, I don't, I, I don't know if I like it better than the Beatles version or not, to be honest. I think I heard this one first. So that might be why I, I might like it more. I think we tend to, uh, establish which one is like our, our comfort version. And then other versions are always compared to that one. That's kind of your home base version, right? I don't know. Maybe that's not the case, but I've, I've often felt that way because it seems like whatever version we hear first is the one that we tend to like the most, unless somebody just comes and, and just does something incredible with a song, you know, then that might usurp the authority of the original, but, uh, but a great version, just the same. And now we're going to get back into the mystical realm a little bit with a song called The Shield. like Nick Simper on this song, uh, especially. I think he's got such a great sound and, it, you know, he's got these little fill-ins that he does that I think really uh, make the the dynamics of the song come out a little more. Richie's sound, uh, again, I, I really like on this song too. I love just those little fill-ins, even that one note that he just slowly bends. Uh, those little things sometimes can make all the difference. They can give a song a really specific character. They can make a memorable and they're just things that he seems to do so naturally. Uh, it, it's it's a cool song. You know, it goes back into that medieval time kind of thing. I, I tend to think about that game I've talked about before on the show, Crossbows and Catapults, because I think this is one of the songs I used to listen to when we would play that. Uh, we didn't play it very often, but but I do definitely have an association with this song in that game. But it's a, it's a cool song. It's very gentle, you know, for for the subject matter. But it's, you know, got the whole Trojan War tie into it. And uh, and I like it. I like Rod singing a little more gently on this one. It's a mellower song for the beat. 
it, it's the beat almost counteracts that a little bit because the beat is a little bit up tempo, not quite aggressive, but it definitely has a, a movement to it. Yet the rest of the song is is really gentle, so it's a nice contrast. I think if we heard more kick drum in it, if there was a, like a more punchy kick drum, it might be too much for the song. So I, I actually like the fact that the bass drum is just very much in the background. Um, I think the drive would be completely different if that was more up in the mix and, and it, the song might not work as well that way. And it could be too that Ian knew that and chose to play it more softly, like instead of, you know, lifting his uh, his his foot all the way. Uh, I, I think he was, I don't think he's a heel to toe player. I think he's a, a toe to heel player. So he plays like with the, the ball of his foot. And so um, I think you'd have to in those boots. But uh, that being the case, I mean, you could just do, you could actually play like heel to toe and not get as much velocity on that bass drum hit. Or, you know, he could just be lifting very slightly. But boy, it's hard to keep that consistent if that's not the way you normally play. And I was just talking to someone else recently about that, about how hard it is to uh, play in a different style and yet keep that attack consistent, like on a snare drum, if you're trying to play completely different, where like, let's say that you're a rock drummer and you're playing country and you want a gentler hit. So you don't hit anywhere near as hard. You don't bring the stick back as far. You don't snap it quite the way you would. It's hard to be consistent in a gentler hit, right? It's going to come out a little bit different every time in velocity. So it really takes a certain amount of focus and skill and practice to be able to, to play that over time. So I don't know if, if they just turned it down in the mix. I don't know if he played it that way on purpose. But in any case, I think the end result of it worked out very well, because if that kick was there in driving, uh, the whole song would feel completely different. Not that it would be bad or, or worse, I don't know, but because this is the version I know, again, this is the one I heard first, but it would be interesting to hear, I think, the difference. Uh, but since that'll never happen, we'll just go with what we have. Uh, it's a cool song. Uh, there's a really cool rocking part uh, with with the keyboards where John plays that sort of um, staccatoed uh, uh, Hammond that he did in Hush. And it's a really cool solo. Um, I really like the way that it just kind of goes in, into the end. It, well, actually, there's a part that everything just kind of fades out and then the song comes back in. Uh, it's very well done, very interesting. And I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for the recording of that because I think that would have been a fun one to, to witness. Um, but there are more great things on this album. And speaking of great things, our next song is called Anthem. Then I start to remember The girl that brought me joy Now the night wind softly blows Sadness to tomorrow Bringing tears to eyes so tired Eyes I thought could cry no more I honestly don't know if Rod Evans was a writer or not. Um, I mean, you see he's credited for things in these albums, but I would say if 
if he was a writer or even if he hired writers to do the music for him, if he wanted to continue along the paths of someone like Tom Jones, I, I think he could have had a very good career doing music like this. I think his voice is so suited to this. And then do a rock song now and then, you know, where he could push the limits of it, get get a little gritty, um, like he does in Kentucky Woman, for example. But I really think he could have had an incredible career being this kind of performer. Um, I, I like the stuff that he did outside of Purple. Um, but, you know, those kind of bands, honestly, were, were pretty much bands that would come and go. You take a, a lounge style singer, he could have spent 30 years in Vegas having an act here and done very well. You know, um, people would have traveled all over the world to see him, I think, from all over the world, <laughs> I should say. But uh, yeah, I really think he could have had a career doing this kind of stuff. Um, you know, not, you know, I'll, you have to have more happy songs than sad. Obviously, nobody's going to come see you if you're like, hey, let's go to see the guy that sings all those sad songs and pay $80 to, to get in. You're not going to do that. But this style of stuff, he absolutely could have done. And even if you think about it, a song like Delilah, God, he would have sounded great on that. And that's a sad song, but it has an up-tempo. So you can you could totally do sad songs with up-tempo. They don't all have to be uh, slower songs like this. But he definitely had the voice to have a, a, an amazing career like that. There's also, you know, hooking up with the right writers or performers. There's getting the right opportunity, being in front of the right person. I mean, there's so much more that goes to it than just having that voice even back in the late 60s. But potentially, I, sh I would say, um, he very easily could have had a career just like that if he happened upon the right opportunities. Um, you know, uh, who was it? I, I can never remember his name. He was a, a famous singer here for years. He owned one of the hotels. Um, Wayne Newton, um, you know, a, a career like that. Now, obviously, Wayne is a completely different kind of singer. But that sort of lounge act, I think he could have done very well um, doing something like that. Uh, but we'll never know. It never happened. And um, I just hope he's happy now. He's he's given us a lot. It would be nice to be able to thank him. If you happen to be listening, Rod, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed these albums immensely for the, the many years. I've enjoyed the Captain Beyond stuff. Um, wish that uh, wish you'd come out of hiding and, and talk to us. But in any case, these albums are fantastic and I, I greatly enjoy them. So that brings us to another cover. This one is River Deep Mountain High. Now, the first four and a half minutes of this song are very long, drawn out instrumental. Um, there's an incredible amount of reverb in it for some reason and uh, an obtuse amount of wind, uh, almost unrealistic wind. But uh, I'm just going to skip ahead about four and a half minutes into the song so we can get to the meat of it. Did you have a rag doll? The only doll you've ever owned. Now I love you just the way you love that rag doll. Only now my love has grown. Oh, 
I've always thought the lyrics to this song were a little bit weird. Um, as as somebody trying to court, you know, a young lady um, saying, you know, I, I'm going to be as faithful as this puppy you may or may not have ever had. <laughs> I'm going to love you the way this inanimate object uh, of a rag doll did. I, I, the, the lyrics have always been a little bit weird to me. But uh, again, yeah, I'm not a huge lyric guy anyway. And so that's that's all well and good. Um, so I had a lot of weird comparisons in the 60s, I'll say that. But uh, but it's a good song. It's, it's really full of energy. You can feel a passion in it. Um, again, great performances by everybody in it, uh, especially as it gets into the chorus. But it's it's a little, you know, drawn out at the beginning. I think that, you know, four and a half minutes of instrumental leading up to where you even start finding out what the song is about is, is probably a little bit much for me. I think it could have been trimmed down. But there's other times where I can just take that journey and not even think about it. And when I do that, I'm usually happier. Sometimes for things, I think, especially that we've had for such a long time in our lives. I mean, I was a little kid when I first heard this. So thinking about that, um, sometimes it's better to just shut up and enjoy it and and not question it too much. Um, but on this one, I have to question it a little bit, at least. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a cool song. This would be the end of the album, but uh, as usual, I'm working off of a deluxe version of the album that has some additional uh, outtakes, and some of these are from the BBC. Uh, there's only one I'm not going to play, which is a live version of Ring That Neck, or um, sorry, Hard Road, if you're listening in America. No one to offend anybody. Um, apart from that, I'm going to go through all of these because they're they're all cool songs, and they're all ones that never were released otherwise. So these are, are true bonus tracks. Uh, the first one is probably my my favorite. I, I love this one. It's so lighthearted and snarky. Um, it's just perfect for me. And it is called Oh No No No. I think this is such a shame that this one never got released. Well, I mean, it's been released on the deluxe edition, but it wasn't released at the time. It's got some great bass playing. There's some really cool uh, organ chops in here. Ian Pace is really uh, busy on the snare. It's It's got a passionate vocal. It's sarcastic. I just, I love the song and, and I'm kind of bummed that it never got a proper uh, recording and release, but it's it's a fun one. You know, it's it's basically like, you think you're so important to me but you're not. And and I'm just going to show you how basically like, you're the buzzing of a fly as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you meant something to me once, but uh, who are you now? And I, I, you, you seem familiar, kind of snarkiness. I love it. Um, but it's a fun song. It's It's got a great melody to it. I really think this is one where Nick Simper shines and, um, you know, didn't didn't get that um, 
that display when the album came out. So fortunately, thanks to some of these deluxe editions, we're able to hear uh, insights into the almost purple, if you will. But it's it's definitely a cool song. Um, you know, take a listen to that one. If, and sometimes what I'll do is if I'm going to listen to this album, I'll put that song on first and then I'll listen to the whole album so I can hear it twice. It just it just makes me that happy. <laughs> or if I'm feeling like I need a little sarcasm, that's one that I'll I'll put on. Uh, this next bonus track is called It's All Over. Now, I don't know if it's like It's All Over or It's All Over. You know, like you could really take that anyway. Like it's it's spread all over or it's all over like it's done. I don't know. You'll have to determine that for yourself. In the beginning of this, you could almost hear what I think are inflections of the song Lelania. They may have already written that or been in the process of writing that. And maybe they performed that on the, the BBC and then went into this song. I, I have no idea. I have no documentation on this at all. Or maybe they were just playing around with the idea or they said, hey, what was that thing you were playing at the beginning of this? Let's do something with that. No idea. But it definitely feels Lelania-ish, I'll say. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Um, there are vocals that come into the song later on, but I think this has got a good feel, even just as an instrumental. It really turns into something um, a lot more emotional. And I, I've never been able to pinpoint exactly what it reminds me of. It's very familiar as something else by somebody else. I, I've just never been able to pick out what the song is, but it, it definitely has a presence to it. Um, it feels kind of epic. But not in that, you know, the song's got so many parts or it's really huge. It's just like that, an epic ballad feel to it to me. Um, But it's a very cool song. Again, I I think it's kind of a shame that this one didn't get recorded. But since we have Anthem on this album, it probably wouldn't have worked. I don't think there would have been any room for it on on the album Deep Purple, their third album. I don't think it would have fit there either, only because you've already got Lelania. Um, But it's a good song. It's definitely a good song. Maybe it it could have been done as like a B-side single. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's a cool song nonetheless, and one I think is well worth listening to. Then we get into this stuff where I'm kind of like, oh, I hate titles like this. <laughs> I, this this goes back to like the '50s feel that of, of a title that I've never really cared for. This is called "Hey Bop a Rebop," because of course it is. <laughs> Thank you. 
huh, that sure sounds a lot like The Painter. But of course, we wouldn't know that because that album hasn't come out yet in our timeline here. That is off the next album, Deep Purple, uh, the one with the crazy section of the Bosch painting and them hiding <laughs> in it. Um, a, a really cool song, though. I like The Painter. It's It's got some really good energy to it. This is is really feels like a writing session. Um, Rod does come in and sing on this in a little bit, and he's singing to someone named Gloria. So obviously the lyrics were changed around quite a bit for the, for the final song. Um, but this was one that they would play a lot uh, live and uh, definitely a cool song. So it's kind of neat to see, even back then, how their, their writing was taking shape. This is a lot more muted guitar playing than what we hear in The Painter. So uh, this, I would say, is just like a, a rehearsal session, an early version of what would eventually become The Painter. And um, it, yeah, it's really cool. Um, the next track on here is the the version of Ring That Neck that's live from the BBC session. So I won't play that, but I will get into our final track, which is a remastered instrumental called Playground. It seems like in that first uh, verse section that the band uh, went down a little bit lower, a little bit before Richie was ready for them to do that because everything kind of got thrown off uh, for a little bit until they came into what I guess would be the chorus or the pre-chorus there. Uh, really cool song. I mean, it's got such a great groove to it. A another uh, shining moment for Nick Simper. I really like Richie's sound on this album. I think for the time... Uh, and, and, you know, what what the writing was, I think his his sound is great. I know a lot of people don't um, because it's it's really not, um, you know, it's not thick. It's not, you know, what what he's turned into uh, just just another year later when they would get to in rock. But uh, definitely uh, it, it fits to the album, I think. But uh, is that nostalgia? Is that just because I've always heard it this way? I've just known this is how it sounds. And I accept that as is the final product. I, I have no idea. But that's where I, I land with it. But um, yeah, it's a cool song. I, I think that this was another one, obviously, that was in development. Uh, they're just kind of jamming around it. Uh, but I think this one really had a lot of potential. I would have liked to have seen um, a more final product of this. You know, it, it's got a lot of cool places that it goes. It's really must have been a little bit further along in development because it's it's pretty tight, you know, for the most part. But it's uh, it's definitely got a good feeling. It's a good jam nonetheless. And I'm really glad that we got to hear it on this uh, bonus track. I'm trying to remember where I first heard it. It might have been on like one of the Deep Purple family albums or something. I don't know. But I had heard it at some point before I got this compilation or this uh, best of, or I'm sorry, this ex extended edition. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore at this point. 
Um, but overall, a great album. You know, their second effort, they, they're they a little more familiar with each other than they were the first time. I don't know how much time they had to uh, write and record this album. I know Shades of Deep Purple was a very small time frame to to do both. And um, I think John Lord commented that they recorded it over, recorded and mixed it over a weekend. So that's not a lot of time, especially for the intensity of songs like Mandrake Root. But, you know, these are our great musicians that are, you know, hey, we got it pretty much in the first take. Let's do a safety take or whatever. Um, that's just, you know, and, and very minimal overdubs. But um, yeah, a, a great album, one that definitely means a lot to me as as we are still in the beginnings of the Purple Catalog. We got a long way to go over the coming months as I uh, attack these albums. Um, you know, they're they're all great albums. They all have meaning to me, every single Purple album that's come out. So uh, I look forward to covering more. But this is a unique sounding album. The sound changes uh, quite drastically when we get to the next album. I think it changed drastically from uh, Shades of Deep Purple to this, The Book of Taliesin as well. Um, you know, these albums all have their own individual character. And uh, I, I really like them. It's Again, I'm going to have to say it is part nostalgia, but it's also these were my roots of learning different kinds of music, of seeing what was possible uh, in music, and I think really started to help me take shape as someone who would eventually become a writer. Uh, I was not anywhere close to being a writer at this point. Um, just drums, you know, my brother would would come up with, uh, you know, guitar riffs or whatever, and I would come up with drums. But apart from that, I mean, I wasn't writing melodies or even contributing in the slightest to how the song would go apart from that. So I, I definitely think that these albums that for me were early albums in my lifetime really did have a, a an influence. So I would have to say the Book of Taliesin is a very important album for me as a writer, but also just as someone who enjoys music. I mean, uh, this was, again, a, an early album for me. So it was a new sonic thing, you know, seeing or listening to what was possible and what these guys did and how they played together in grooves and changing parts and all that stuff and the emotion and the passion in the music. So yeah, I, I'm really excited to to go through each and every one of these and share them with you. For those who are listening, I thank you very much. We will have uh, another album next week. I don't know, like I said, if it's going to still be La Luna or not. If not, that will be soon. And we'll we'll get to whatever the next one is next week. See you guys. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>